0: There are increasing signs that the 2021-2022 inflationary surge is cooling. But will there be a soft landing? A recession? What are the kinds of narratives we will be told about Fed policies over the last few years? And the effectiveness of monetary
1: policy well the fed is very data driven and i think Jay has done a pretty good job to
0: help me answer these questions i was joined by pete earl on liberty curious pete is an economist for aier who spent over 20 years as a trader at a number of securities firms and hedge funds he expects narratives to emerge about how the fed handled covid and that there's a distinct possibility that like in the past a far more charitable version of the last three years than is justified
1: will emerge and become the definitive account. If this disinflation were to say, bring um, inflation back down to say two or 3%, um, it could be perceived uh, in a way that's beneficial to the Fed and not so much to Americans.
0: Why is this important? because the narratives that form today will become the received wisdom and history book accounts of the future. That may result in less skepticism among the public regarding what monetary policy can do, and we may confront a more emboldened central bank in the future.
1: We're starting to see uh, the effects of the Federal Reserve um, uh, contractionary policy, the hiking campaign against inflation. Uh, disinflation is proceeding, which means inflation, the general price level seems to be coming down in some categories, not all. But uh, what I'm cautioning is that in addition to the fact that inflation can be persistent, might not continue to come down as uh, come down in as much of a straight line as it has. Uh, we may be facing a recession later this year. Another risk is the narrative that takes hold. And I am concerned about the way in which if this dis- inflation were to, say, bring um, inflation back down to, say, 2 or 3%, um, it could be perceived uh, in a way that's beneficial to the Fed and not so much to Americans. Okay. So can
0: we come back before getting into the narrative? Uh, mm-hmm. What does that all mean kind of in terms of the numbers? Like, why do you think that there's going to potentially be a recession?
1: Well, I mean, the lag time on uh, Federal Reserve policy tends to be between six and 18 months. So we're not really mm. even seeing, we don't think the full effects of raising the rate, the fastest has ever been raised before. Right. We went from, you know, I think about a quarter of a point, maybe less than a quarter of a point, 25 basis points, to what uh, will we'll be up at 5% probably with the next rate hike, uh, if it's 25 basis points. So that's a very big hike yeah. in less than a year. Um, so my point is that, we don't yet know what's gonna happen. We haven't seen the full implications yet of this Fed um, hiking uh, uh, campaign. And um, it seems pretty clear the economy is slowing, but how much and will it be enough to cause a recession? We often have a recession when these types of things happen. So yeah. um, that's, what, uh, that's why I think that um, those could be distractions from what I think is another concern, which is the development that takes hold uh, in terms of the narrative that prevails in the future.
0: Well, that makes sense, actually, when it comes to the six to 18 months that it takes, like the lag. And I know that that's what happened with inflation, right? Where there was a lot of money printing and that kind of took time to to span out. Yeah.
1: So the money printing really took place between February, March and April of 2020. It was ongoing. Yeah. But I mean, uh, we didn't really start to see. So most people noticed inflation in early 2022 and say, January, February, but it really started in January, 2021. And as customarily customarily happens, uh, we really saw the inflation first in capital goods, in resources like uh, commodities, like energy, gasoline, oil, that sort of thing. And then it was when uh, we had the invasion of Ukraine that um, inflation was already spiking up, but oil prices really went up a lot. And so did uh, gasoline and other petroleum products. So the inflation really started, I would say in earnest, maybe about 10 months after um, the outbreak of the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that. But it took uh, a bit more time for people to notice it.
0: Right. Well, why I make that comparison as well is because in your piece, you talk about narratives mm-hmm. and you're kind of concerned about how this narrative will play out over time. Right. And if it will actually be accurate and what kind of message it gives, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw that as well with inflation where there were certain narratives about what caused inflation, uh, which may have not necessarily true. Those are just lies, true.
1: but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they weren't so much narratives, but, no, but played no, about it no, but you're, yeah you're absolutely right they, yeah. there was an attempt to 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 invoke or to produce a narrative there as well hmm. yeah so there, there's definitely that the idea but the thing is like the narrative in in the in the, in the sense that schiller talks about it narratives and that's the the Yale university economist and um 2013 nobel prize winner um schiller talks about like this overarching narrative that becomes sort of the accepted wisdom about what happens I would say that um, the administration would have had a narrative if they didn't keep changing it because they blamed greed, then they blamed Vladimir Putin, then they blamed gas station owners, and yeah. then they blamed uh, oil sh- uh, ocean shippers, and then they said that inflation was worse everywhere else in the world. And they just, you really don't have a narrative, you keep changing the story. And if they brought it all together, it wouldn't be a very convincing narrative because right. they seem to blame everybody but the makers of monetary policy. All
0: right. Okay, so that is kind of the point, right, is that these people maybe need to be accountable as well. Like, But there's maybe also a balance there between how much – is the Fed actually in control of? Like how much can you point to them for them to be right. accountable and what do they actually have control over?
1: Yeah, and, and that's um, when we talk about the example I use in the article of another narrative, that's my main point is yes. that the Fed may have been responsible for some of it, but we don't know. We, we can't really break down, you know, econometrically whether 60 percent of what happened was the Fed or 20 percent than these other things. So yeah. it's very difficult to attribute. What we know is that in economics, there are no like monocausal things. We, it's very rare to say this affected that because there's so many things happening at once. You know, we have a social system. We have a complex sort of array of things happening at once. And for that reason, it's very difficult to attribute one cause to one effect.
0: So I'll actually take an example from your article here. Mm-hmm. So you say, take, for example, the monetary policy campaign between 1993 and 1995, yep. which led to former Fed chairman Alan Greenspan's widespread co- coronation as the maestro. Yeah. Can you explain that, his soft landing, and what you think were actually the factors? Yeah,
1: so in, in 1993 or so, uh, inflation was starting to tick up. And it was maybe at 3 maybe a little above 3%. And there were concerns in the Fed that we might have... Um, we had just gotten over a recession and that we might see inflation start to rise up and then have another recession. So the Fed began raising interest rates. And the idea was, as it always is, to sort of raise rates enough to sort of quash inflation, draw enough money away that the price level comes down, but not cause a recession and between 1993 and 1996 that was accomplished rates came up about 300 basis points three percent uh the economy did slow inflation uh cooled back down to about two percent and we didn't have a recession we had a slowdown in the economy but not a recession and that was viewed at the time or i should say in subsequent years you know Greenspan uh, the, the 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 chairman of the, of the Fed at the time got the nickname the Maestro and there was this uh, there was this widespread sort of uh, praise for him saying that he had pulled off you know sort of the consummate, uh virtuoso act as a fed chairman he squashed inflation without slowing the economy and people thought this is the new frontier and maybe we really know how to do this maybe this is a science now more than an art which is monetary policy and i think it's nonsense and i speak about why um certainly what the fed did uh uh uh, had an effect but you know there's 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 two issues i want to raise and the first is that at that time we had a number of other factors that were uh Mitigating inflation and perhaps, you know, uh, uh, keeping the economy growing more than if the rates, uh, then the rates alone would have slowed. So, for example, we had uh, the fall of the wall. You had Eastern Europe opening up really widely at that time. A lot of new markets opening, right? Mm-hmm. You had... Um, the end of the Gulf War. I was in the army at that time, and we had oil prices come down after Iraq was ejected for, ejected from, from Kuwait. And we had boomers at that time where they're like prime earning years. They were, mm-hmm. if they, you know, if they're born in 1945. We're talking about them, you know, starting to enter their 50s and all that. So they were the prime earnings. So there were a lot of factors there that were working uh, to sort of keep the economy afloat and maybe mitigate inflation along with what the Fed was doing. So, um, Chalking it up to being this great, you know, just um, uh, 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 this is great moment of, 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 of expertise on the Fed is a little bit, uh, it's, it's not really justified.
0: Yeah. You write here, actually, if more skepticism had been expressed regarding what central bankers can actually do, yeah. or more caution voiced regarding the complex nature of monetary policy and its effects, who knows? Right? Yep. So that, yep. so can you pull that apart a little bit, like this myth that central bankers are able to fix everything on their own?
1: Well, I mean, one thing I'd like to go back to is that also uh, and this ties to it is that is that it's been it's, it's now been called or known as the soft landing, that episode., yeah. but it was not a soft landing because even despite the fact that we had inflation come down and we didn't have a recession, we had something like 34%, a 34% rise in bankruptcies over the, those three years. We had the Orange County, California blow up, which cost billions of dollars. When you raise interest rates quickly in that amount of time, and they didn't even raise rates as quickly as they are now. But when you raise rates the way they were raised in 1993, 94, 95, that time period, um, you're going to have a lot of entities which are interest rate dependent, which are going to be upended by this. And so you had the Mexican peso crisis and a number of other things that happened. So there were a lot of factors going the Fed's way. And also there were a lot of things that make it such that the calling it a soft landing is not really uh, an accurate uh, description. But... My concern is that, you know, one wonders if there had been a little more scrutiny. Now, the Fed is independent, so they're not supposed to take into account. um, They're not supposed to be browbeaten by politics or whatever, but, uh, you know, Congress or whatever. But my concern is that maybe if people had been a little more skeptical, maybe if the media hadn't been so quick to to bestow upon Greenspan this title of the maestro, whether he cared or not, you know, maybe we might have had... Um, a little more of a cautious environment where we wouldn't have yanked rates down after 9-11 for as long as they were and then inflate a housing bubble, as we did. Right. Uh, we wouldn't have had the mortgage crisis. And without that, you don't have the Great Recession. Now, of course, those things might have happened anyway. But I think uh, uh, this sort of uh, flowery praise and this sort of you know worship for um, uh, a policy action, which has many, many other things factored into it, um, was premature and possibly uh, deleterious. It was possibly negative. So
0: that's kind of the danger with narratives then. Is that what Schiller was pointing to?
1: Schiller has pointed out that narratives are a very important factor in the way policies are perceived and in the environment into which policies are, are, are received. So, um, you know, if there's tremendous faith in a certain government body um, and they undertake a policy action, people might be more inclined to act in accordance with that because they trust them. On the other hand, if you have a government body or some government agency and they are known to screw up everything they touch, um, they, their policy, especially if their policy makes it incumbent upon people to do things, people might not be inclined to, you know, buy more or whatever it is, and therefore uh, it mitigates uh, their influence. And so um, uh, Schiller sees narratives as an exogenous force, as almost like, you know, like an earthquake or something, yeah. like something that's not done by policy, but something comes from the outside. Right. And so for that reason, he thinks that, um, and even says in one of his articles about narrative economics, he says, you know, of all the social science disciplines, the one that has studied um, the effect of narratives and what he calls cultural entrepreneurs the least is economics. Hmm. anthropology, archaeology, sociology, psychology, history, all the other social sciences have put a lot of effort into narratives, but economics, not that much.
0: Well, that's really fascinating because, you know, and we were talking about the New Deal off camera earlier, right? Right. And there were narratives around that. Sure. And a lot of those narratives were Mm anti-capitalist, and we're seeing a resurgence of this again now. So I can't see why you wouldn't want to study that because, uh, like, all of the market changes that happened, you know, with the New Deal, like the force of that of like wouldn't you wouldn't you care yeah. to study it?
1: So so absolutely. So I do. Uh, but but I mean I mean to a large <laughs> extent, mainstream economics has been overtaken by physics envy. So they'd much rather study differential equations and linear algebra and and, and all sorts of really sophisticated mm-hmm. mathematical models uh-huh. than something as squishy and difficult Uh, to quantify as narratives, even though I would personally argue narratives are probably a far more fruitful way of examining uh, certain phenomena than, you know, whatever the raft of formulae or equations you could derive would be. That's my opinion, though.
0: Well, that would be, I guess, seeing economics as an art, and not just as a science.
1: Well, I mean as a as a as a as a social science and not a physical science. Mm, I
0: see. Yeah, Physics that makes energy. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then what do you think is going to happen now with this disinflation narrative? Like what exactly are we going to
1: be told, do you think? Yeah, so so I, I see this unfolding in two ways. The way that I fear is that the uh, is that the story that, that emerges of all this, and first of all, All of this assumes that disinflation um, continues and that we don't have a really nasty recession. Maybe even if we do, but I think um, a likely story is, you know, we face this pandemic, uh, COVID occurred, um, markets seized up, the Fed liquefied the economy, they opened up all these facilities like the commercial paper purchase facility and um, they, they bought uh, every treasury on the market. They did all these things and the price we paid was a year, year and a half of inflation but then the Fed raised rates and everything was fine again. So that, that story chalks this up as a win and it forgets a lot of things that happened along the way. I mean, it, it makes it sound as if, you know, there is uh, some, again, list of equations or some uh a cockpit with all these dials and if you hit just the right ones, you get the desired outcome right. And so that breezes past it, it gilds the lily on a number of things that are happening right now in terms of the economy bad things that are happening mm-hmm. um, it may embolden the Fed in the future to do things it shouldn't do right and uh, you know also the, the something that's 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 not written about as much lately, but the Fed is a thought leader. In world economics and in world monetary policy, so other central banks look to the Fed, and there are conferences and there are articles, and it would not be surprising if the narrative prevails that that what the Fed did was you know it, it was it was painful, but they got the job done and it had benefits. It would not at all be surprising to see these kinds of policy actions being used in the future. Now, certainly, with inflation rising, the Fed is supposed to raise rates, but. Uh, uh, we want to make sure that it's remembered that this is happening because of the early uh, pandemic, massively expansionary monetary policy campaigns that were undertaken.
0: Right, so that's where it began. So basically the danger is that all of these things happened, which affected people's lives gravely. Worldwide. And that then suddenly maybe it's not such a big deal. And maybe even more than not being such a big deal, it was a good thing and we should do it again.
1: Right, and also that, I mean... There's no there's no formula that says, okay, raise 75 basis points, 75 basis points, 75 basis points, 50, and then 25, and then 20, 20, 50. These things are sort of pulled out of a hat. And um, we wouldn't want to confer upon them the sort of expertise that they suggest. Um, a lot of this is just sort of... Looking at a lot of data and sort of flying by the seat of their pants, they're they're guessing to a large extent, mm-hmm. and that's my my concern is that if we have at this time next year, two and a half percent inflation, if the, the general price level on CPI is where it was three or four years ago, yeah, um, it starts looking a lot like, you know, another soft landing. Wow, these guys really knew what they were doing, and that's never the case.
0: Yeah, so you it's think more- that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Do you want to continue what you were saying? No. About I was going to gonna say it's more
1: consistent with randomness than a lot of other things. I mean, if they raise rates enough, you are going to see. If they raise interest rates enough, you are going to see inflation come down. But the thing is, you know, there's a lot of side effects and unintended consequences and trade-offs that are forgotten, just like with the soft landing in 1994.
0: Well. This makes sense to to me in a more kind of esoteric way, which Mm -hmm. is if we think about central planning, right? And why central planning doesn't work. And it's because there's a lot of mistakes made along the way. You don't have all the right Mm -hmm. information. Uh, Things are not going to go as planned. You're too far away from whatever it is that you're trying to plan down here. And it's all too vast. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this idea that a central bank or the Fed, you know, is able to do all of that with you know, uh, efficiency and they know exactly what they're doing and where they're going, that, that creates a narrative on its own, right?
1: Central banks are central planners. It's right in the name. I mean, you know, they, they are monetary central planners. And I think that, um, um, many of them would even concede that, but yeah, that's the thing is that, is that we, economics more broadly than just monetary policy is, you know, We can get into Hayek and all that sort of thing about local information Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. But I mean, you know, the Fed does accumulate lots of data, but this data takes a while to get to them. The data can be wrong. The data can be reflective of things um, that that are not important or that are way more important than they give than they wait. And... You know, there are interactions among data where this number doesn't matter, but these two do. My point is that, like, it's it's an extraordinarily complex system in a social order. And there's no amount of equations. There's no amount of formulas. You you can have batteries of PhD economists working on these things. You know, it's almost like a Heisenberg thing. The minute you see the data, the minute you act upon the data, you're changing the outcomes.
0: Right. And And it's already too late, in a sense. Like, things are already moving
1: Again, like I said, like the Fed, if the Fed raises rates enough, yes, they're going to choke off the growth of money, uh, the rate of the growth of money supply, and uh, you know they're 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 now sort of winding off the balance sheet and all that sort of thing. But um, if we have a perfect outcome or a near perfect outcome, it is completely consistent with the randomness. Right. There's absolutely no, right. you know, masterful calculation taking place that made it just so. It's luck.
0: It sounds like, in a sense, just the fact that. The Fed is a kind of central planner, a monetary central planner, that they'll always be playing catch up in a sense, like they're always chasing their own
1: tail. I mean, as one example, if you think about it, the Fed began to raise rates in March, March of 2022. Usually the lag time is six or eight, to about 18 months. There's a chance. I mean, we are, but there is always an off chance that we're not even seeing the full effects of those. Uh, policy rate changes yet i think we are but i mean conceivably you know there's still a lot happening and so the fed has to make decisions based upon without even seeing the outcomes of their policy right and the more i the more i learn um the more i would never ever want their job yeah yeah Yeah. the 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 impossible is asked of them the question is why do they accept the job (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that is a good question. Yeah. That is a good question. So I'll just read kind of a little bit of how you wrap this up here, yep. which is, uh, The recent updraft in inflation has been ruinous and unnecessary, but nevertheless highly instructive. Let us all hope that disinflation proceeds expeditiously, and if it does, that we remain mindful that the outcome is in spite of, rather than owing to, central bankers and their narrow assortment of lagging and unpredictable policy instruments. Yeah, yeah. So that pretty much sums it up, Pete. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: No, uh, just that I I will be watching very closely to see what the story is as it comes out. Because narratives, uh, they don't coalesce at one point in time. They grow over time. And so what we'll be looking for and what anybody interested should be looking for are editorials, Um, You know, yeah, op-eds, things like that that start to say, hey, you know, the Fed, you know, they, 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 they played this one right and this is another soft landing or whatever. I think if we have the recession that's been discussed, if we have it, that will... That will, that will probably uh, preclude a lot of those conclusions. But if we, d- if we don't have that, we should still be very upset about the inflation we've had and the prices people have paid for goods and all that sort of thing. So um, it's a developing story. Like so much else, this is only the first of many milestones to come.
0: Great, well thank you so much for joining me.
1: Great to be here, as always.